0: Go ahead and turn to Acts 20. We are continuing our verse by verse, line by line study through the book of Acts. And before we get going, I just want to give a little application story for one of the things we're going to talk about today. How many of you guys have been to Israel before? It's an amazing, amazing experience. But even if you haven't been there, some of you guys might know this. It's a pretty well known fact that there are two major bodies of water within israel anyone knows where those are sea Galilee and the dead sea brinton somebody get that guy a free coffee in the coffee shop (laughs) all right (laughs) he's got it okay cool that was because you got it right um all right so there's two main waters of body and both of them are fed by the jordan river But there is something that they differ in, in that they both have inputs, but only one of them has an output. Basically, the Sea of Galilee has water going in and coming out, but the Dead Sea only has water going into it. And the result of that is the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life. Actually, it's amazing. When I went there, they have all these giant catfish because that's not a kosher fish to eat according to the Old Testament, so the Jewish people can't eat it. So there's just tons of catfish, giant ones, and they're like breaking water constantly. It's, it's a crazy thing to see, but it is literally teeming with life. But the Dead Sea, it has no life. And the reason for that is because there's water going in, but it's not coming out. So what happens is as the water's evaporated, and it's evaporated at an extremely high rate because it's super hot where it's at. Um, it leaves all of the minerals and salt behind in the lake. So it's got highly concentrated salt and minerals. It's actually, um, let's see, I wrote the the fact down. It's 10 times more salty than ordinary seawater. Basically, that leaves it unsuitable for anything to live in it. And as I was kind of thinking about that, I was thinking how, what a good analogy for how our spiritual lives can be because Following Jesus, your life can either be like the Sea of Galilee in that as God continuously pours into you, you let him use you to pour into others continuously. And because of that, there's just a whole bunch of life and activity in your relationship with him because of your faithfulness to let him use you as he's pouring into you and you're pouring out. You're just seeing evidence of him everywhere, kind of like we see in the book of Acts in those believers lives. Or you can kind of be like the Dead Sea where we're just doing the things that we know we should be doing in a sense, kind of taking in the stuff God wants to do. But we never, outside of the walls of the church, go out and allow him to use us. And as a result, you're just kind of getting filled, but you're almost like a stagnant lake. There's just no life inside of you because of him wanting to use you in other people's lives and to pour out into them, but you're just not willing to do that, which is something we don't want, right? Right? I mean, we want we want that abundant life. We want that vibrant life. We read the book of Acts and we're like, man, I want my life like that. And so really it's, it's not too complicated. It's just as God pours into you, you pour into others. And in the book of Acts chapter 20 today, we're just gonna see a, a good example of what I call spiritual fatigue and some principles around spiritual fatigue I want to I want to talk about so that we know how to avoid it we know the consequences of it and we know you know basically how to address it when we see it in people's lives so just as a recap we got done with Acts 19 last week and we saw this opposition come against this great work that Paul uh, the Lord is doing through Paul in Ephesus Um, In the form of these idol worshipers, these merchants that made little idols, they were upset because their industry was tanking because so many people were getting saved and they were not worshiping these little false idols that were worthless, you know, basically learning what God had to say, that God was the one and only true God. And they were uh, repenting of their sin. They weren't worshiping these idols and it was causing their business to tank. And so they get upset. They get this riot against Paul and the other Christians to form and they're mad at them. But ultimately, as we talked about, Paul made this resolve before any of that opposition ever came that he was going to do what God was telling him to do. And because of that, when that opposition came, he was able to, in a sense, weather the storm, weather that opposition and stand firm in his faith while he watched God deliver them in the form of a leader in the community, basically calming everyone down and in that riot kind of dissipating before it turned into anything. But ultimately it was God that was protecting him. But Paul, because of his resolve, he got to stand there and see that. So that's where we're gonna pick it up in Acts 20 today. Let me pray one more time and then we'll we'll start going through it verse by verse. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just wanna give your word reverence. Lord, we know that uh, these aren't words just written by people. You inspired people to put them down, but they were inspired by your, your spirit. And these words are internal, in that your word says that they'll last forever. As, as Peter said, these are the words of life. So often we're trying to find the meaning of life. We're trying to find satisfaction in life. We're trying to find joy in life. All these things in the way we live our lives, but ultimately all those things can only be found in you. And these words are what lead us to you. They tell us who you are. They tell us who we are to you, how to know you and of your plans for us. So they have the words to really know how to live and experience the life we're looking for. So that's why we want to listen. So Lord, I pray that as these words are spoken, they would give life to all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse one, it says, after the uproar ceased, or basically this rioting that we saw in the last chapter had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said, farewell and departed for Macedonia when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement he came to Greece. So basically, Paul he gathers the believers together because what's happened is this riots kind of calmed down, and he was on his way out of Ephesus. So he kind of he feels like this is at a, this church is at a place where I can leave it now, and they're going to be good. So he gathers everyone together, and um, he says his goodbyes, and he moves on to the next place the Lord had told him to go in Acts, Acts nineteen twenty one, Macedonia. Then he moves on to Greece, which is where Achaia, that was another place God told him to go. He kind of gave him that itinerary, if you remember from last week. And so he's going to those places, he's listening to the Lord. And those were all places that Paul had previously visited. Um, Churches had been established here. So when he's going back to these places, he's visiting Christians. And I want you to note, there's a word that's used twice in those first two verses that show what his focus was when he was visiting these Christians. And what is that? Encouragement, right? And in the Greek, what that word means is to come alongside someone and exhort or urge them to live in a certain way. Basically, to come alongside these other believers and exhort or encourage them to live for Jesus in some specific way. That is what his focus is as he's visiting them. And I would say that's because encouragement is something that every single one of us in life needs would you agree with that all right i would say i need encouragement on a daily basis like even this morning i woke up discouraged for no apparent reason but every day it's always a struggle would you guys agree with that to some form or another maybe more severe other days than others but encouragement is something that we need often and that's why it's talked about all throughout the bible god talks about it a lot and how as christians as brothers and sisters in christ we need to be there to encourage one Another, in essence, to motivate each other to keep going or to persevere and endure through all the hard things that we have to face in life every day. Amen? That Jesus was honest about. Your life's going to be hard. And one of the things he gave us was tangible relationships so we can remind each other of the promises we have in God. All right? And there's lots of reasons we can battle with discouragement. Sometimes it's just because life is hard. All right? Back in Genesis, when sin entered the world... Life got hard, and God told Adam and Eve that. Sometimes it's just because I'm wrongfully comparing my life to other people's life. Doesn't the gra- that that principle the li- the grass is greener on the other side? Now that's not really true. The grass is greener wherever you water it. But having said that, that's what our flesh thinks. We look. My marriage isn't as good as that marriage. My 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 parenting sucks compared to that dad. You know, like my ministry, man, sucks compared to that. Like we compare ourselves when God says, don't do that. Just keep your focus on me and who I say you are. But that's discouraging, right? Sometimes it's because I'm just having a hard time accepting things the way they are in my life. I know that God's good. I know that his plan better than mine. But like a little kid, I can whine. I just don't like it. I don't understand it. And so I get discouraged, right? Sometimes it's because... It's the opposition we face, like we talked about last week, just because we're simply doing what God wants. Isn't that super discouraging when you, to the best of your knowledge, you're doing exactly what God wants, you're following him, and things aren't working out, or people aren't being blessed. The whole reason we serve others is to make them happy. If they're not happy, what's the point? That can be discouraging. There can be a whole bunch of reasons, and they can make you feel like throwing in the towel, like quitting, and this is why we need to be encouraged by each other often so we don't give up, so we don't throw in the towel. And it's one of the main reasons why God says you're not to forsake the gathering of the saints, all right? Because it's not the same when you're out in the world for a couple of reasons. One, there's a unique encouragement that can come from a believer that you can't get from the world. Because here's the thing. In the world, somebody could tell you things are going to be all right. Does that mean anything? They can't promise that. I mean, naturally, I'm skeptical because I'm like, you don't know what I'm going through. How can you say that? But I have every right to be skeptical if somebody off the streets is telling me that or even somebody I know because it doesn't mean anything. There's no one to back that up. How do they know? But as a Christian, I can tell you what God says in his word. And I have the creator of the universe to back it up. So if I'm reminding you of what God himself had told you, you better be encouraged. I know we can still struggle with that, but I'm not lying. When I say God is going to work everything for your good, even if it's not good, that will happen. And we need to be reminded of that because it's so easy to get loose sight of it when we're going through hard things, okay? And that's why he says in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love in good works, to do the things God tells us to do. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As his day of his return is drawing near, I'm starting to see why he said especially that. Because as it gets closer to Jesus' return, you might've noticed things are getting crazy in this world. They're getting harder, right? More difficult. And so that's why he's saying, even more so, as it gets closer to my return, you're going to need to be together to encourage one another to keep going, to keep following me, all right? And so just before I even move on to kind of the rest of what I want to talk about regarding encouragement, I just want to encourage you. If for some reason you're coming here discouraged today, which in a room, like I said, I was discouraged this morning before the Lord met me in prayer, but if you're coming here feeling discouraged today, you came to the right place because his word is meant to encourage you and all the people sitting around you you can look to your left and your right. They're there to be an encouragement to you, whether they know it or not. And I'm gonna encourage you before you leave, I'm gonna exhort you before you leave to humble yourself and find someone to pray for you. Maybe just even in our response time at the end, you can come up for prayer. But if you're with your spouse, if you're with friends and you feel discouraged, here's the thing, here's the reason you can humble yourself because it's a lie from the enemy if you think you're the only one that's discouraged. And often that's what we find when we're honest with other believers and we say, I'm discouraged. Oh man, I know exactly how that feels. I've I've felt that same thing. And what the Lord loves to do is use that brother or sister of Christ to speak to you something specific that you need to hear. Maybe give them a gift of a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, something, a Bible verse that you need to be reminded of. Maybe something you know, but you need to hear it at that moment and it just resonates in you and brings you encouragement. Amen? Don't leave here today because you came to the right place to be encouraged, but take advantage of your brothers, and sisters in Christ and look to them to encourage you. Amen? Let them encourage you. Amen? All right. Now, Paul... He not only was somebody that encouraged other people, he was somebody that realized he needed to be encouraged as well. All right. That's another reason why he was so intentional about having relationships with people. He says in Romans 1 verses 10 through 11, one of the things I always pray for is this is in the opportunity, God willing to come at last to see you or to be with you for. I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So Paul got this. It wasn't just about other people. He wanted to be faithful to encourage them, but he's like, encourage me. I need encouragement. He was humble and realizing that. Okay. And he also appears to have the spiritual gift of encouragement that he discusses in Romans 12, 6 through 8, where God uniquely Empower some people divinely with the ability to exhort or encourage people to move forward in their relationship with Jesus. Or basically see in people to the degree of like, this person needs to be told this from God's word. This people, this person needs to be encouraged in this from God's word. And they have a gift to be able to basically encourage you and how to grow in your walk with Jesus. Anyone ever experienced, maybe you know you're somebody like that. You often recognize that, maybe not necessarily in yourself, but other people say like, man, you have a real gift to encourage people or to exhort them. Kind of like a Barnabas. His name was son of encouragement. That's what it meant. You're like a Barnabas. Anyone ever met someone like that? No one. Okay, thank you. (laughs) I'm like, nobody's encouraging here. Man, we are failing as Christians, all right? Come on, people, all right? I've certainly had those people in my life. And so um, there's two ways that I want to point out that Paul accomplishes being an encouragement to others. Number one, he does it with his mouth, okay? And this is important. The Bible has a lot to say that you can either use your mouth to bring harm to people or to bless them through encouraging. Let me just read a couple of verses. Proverbs 15, four says, gentle words are a tree of life. They produce life in people. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit or brings discouragement Proverbs 15, 23, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. You guys experience that? Somebody just talking to you, maybe, like I said, something you already know, but it's just what you need to hear. And it's wonderful to hear it, amen? Proverbs 18, 20 through 21, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Proverbs 12, 18 through 19, some people make Cutting remarks, but the word of the wise bring healing. Ephesians four don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Gossip, lies, criticalness, judgment, slander, demeaning or disrespectful talk. All those are ways, unwholesome talk, bad talk, things that can come out of your mouth that the enemy would use to discourage people. The other option is to be like Paul and make a resolve to be an encouragement in the things you say. And one of the ways he ensured that is a lot of the time when you especially see these letters he's writing to different churches, to people, to Christians. He uses the word of God to exhort or to encourage them, to build them up, to edify them. Because he knew that with the word of God, hopefully they'd see... That the intent and what he was saying, even if it was corrective in nature, because Paul doesn't pull punches. He preaches truth. But even when it's corrective in nature, if it's coming from God's word, you absolutely can know it's for your benefit because God wouldn't say it otherwise. All right? And then the other thing is he knew that, as I was saying earlier, where his opinion might not make a difference in somebody, given them the hope they need to persevere, God's word gives you every bit of hope to persevere. Remember, hope biblical hope is a sure expectation of good that can only be found in god's word because like i said the one that backs it up is capable of doing it so when you're reminding people when you're encouraging them with god's word they have every reason to believe it amen and you're gonna you help them do that that's how you encourage them okay so with his mouth that was the first way he accomplished encouragement second way with with his, with his presence as he made it a point to go and visit with believers, right? He didn't just save people and leave them. He stuck around, developed relationships, discipled them, taught them God's word, and then guess what? He'd leave them and never come back. No. Whenever God gave him opportunities, he'd come back around, see how they were doing, right? He was intentional about visiting them with his presence. And it means a lot for people to take the time to physically be there with him. Would you guys agree with that? I've seen that happen or proved to be true when Somebody's going through something hard, and I take the time to go and sit with them, listen with them, maybe not even say anything, just pray or just be there to listen. I've seen that proved to be true when visiting missionaries in foreign countries, like taking the time to actually go and see them. I've seen that proved to be true when showing up to help somebody with something. I remember Stephen, his birthday, he still talks about this day I showed up to mow the lawn with him. It wasn't a big deal. Is the, I knew the guy needed help. I had time. So I just showed up to help him mow the lawn. And like that, like just rocked his world in the way he saw me. And it's like, it wasn't a big deal, but it meant something to him. I've seen that prove to be true when visiting somebody in the hospital. I've seen that prove to be true when just stopping by to drop donuts off for somebody. I mean, I do love donuts. I appreciate that a lot too, but I've seen it be, proved to be true when, Chat just showing up to chat with somebody over coffee. And I've experienced all these things in my life too. I mean, these, this has proven to be true over and over in my life when people do this to me and my family as well. And here, here's the thing, I get it. We all have tons of responsibilities. We don't have the time without neglecting things to be there for everyone all the time. But here's the thing. If you're willing to surrender your time to God because it's really his time, that's what we should want then I guarantee you will be used by him to be there for somebody at some time, okay? It's not about being there for everyone all the time. Being there for somebody at the right time, which the Holy Spirit will lead you in if you're willing just to surrender to God to lead you into that, amen? And that's what Paul did. He was there or he encouraged by word of mouth, Using the word God of God's word. And then he also encouraged with his presence, okay? By being there for people. It says in verse three, there he spent three months. This was in Greece. And then when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Uh, so Pater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus in Gaius of Derby and timothy and the asians tychicus and trophimus if you guys are having a baby and you're looking for names here's a bunch right here these <laughs> these went on ahead and were waiting for us at troas but we sailed away from philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days so paul he's in greece for three months ministering to the the christians there, also preaching to whoever will listen And he planned to sail across the Mediterranean Sea back to Syria. That's where Antioch was, his home sending church. So he's making his um, plan to come back home, basically. This is his third missionary trip. But he gets wind of this plot of the Jews who were uh, planning something. These anti-Christian Jews, the religious leaders are planning something against him or the other Christians he's with. And so he kind of goes the opposite direction. He goes north by land uh, up to Macedonia. Uh, another good principle, just really quick to be set, that Paul shows us constantly in his life, but we see here and that he doesn't go there alone. He goes with other Christians, right? And whenever we're serving the Lord, it's always good for the reason I was talking about earlier, among many others, to be with other believers, okay, to not be alone. There's other good reasons like for accountability, safety, wisdom coming from a multitude of counselors. But even just so you have somebody there to encourage you when there's opposition and stuff but it's good to do ministry with other believers. So Paul goes with his companions and eventually they set sail for Philippi across the Aegean Sea to Troas. So they're heading uh, east towards um, Syria Um, and they stay there for a week. And this is where Luke, the writer of Acts, joins them again because he starts using the terminology we when they're in Philippi. And it says on uh, verse seven, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So really quick, this is the first certain example we see of the early church gathering together on Sunday or the first day of the week for fellowship, communion and the teaching of the word. Though, as we're gonna see, it appears to be in the evening because Sunday would have been a normal work day for them. But this is the example we follow in gathering like we're doing right now for those same reasons on the first day of the week, because this is what we see the early church doing. And Paul, knowing that his time with the believers in Troas was short, sensed the need to, as it says, prolong his preaching and continue teaching until midnight. Just like every week, well, not every week, but some weeks, I know that my time with you is short. I only get to talk to you once a week. So I sometimes sense the Lord telling me to prolong my teaching The only reason I'm telling you this is so you know that I'm a doer of the word. So don't condemn me for it. Um, Verse eight, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep, as Paul talked, still longer (laughs) and being overcome by sleep. He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over to him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Now, this is probably a relatable story to some of you, because surely there's been at least a few. And I've seen this that have fallen asleep as I kept talking still longer. Okay, so you don't have to feel guilty. It happens to people. But in all seriousness, they're they're gathered for church on this Sunday evening. This young man, Eutychus, it says he's kind of sitting on the third story. He's kind of in the back, if you will, by the window. Maybe because it was hot in there to get air. We don't really know. But he's kind of in the back. And he falls asleep and falls to his death, basically. All right? And when I was reading this, I was thinking, like, man, that had to be tough for Paul. That is probably something I'd take personally as the epic sermon fail, okay? I mean I've had somebody in a sermon one time get up and yell at me, but I've never had anyone drop to their death. So as far as I'm concerned compared to Paul, I am winning, okay? Let's not hope that doesn't happen or we'll pray. <laughs> but God ends up well, on just a word, what we're gonna see here is basically, you know, it it says that like not every well like basically what happens is like the the Lord puts on his heart this guy you need to heal him and he does that and he's healed and everyone's encouraged but also it must have woke everyone the heck up because he goes on to daybreak he keeps preaching right he's like well i got their attention again so i'm just gonna keep going so word of to caution unless you want something dramatic to happen where you die and have to be resurrected just pay attention and the lord won't have to go to that extent so it says in verse 13 but going ahead to the ship we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day Pentecost. So, what we see here is Paul's is traveling down what would be, traveling southeast down what would be the coast of modern day Turkey as he's working his way uh, over to the Mediterranean back to where he's trying to get, wanting to be at Jerusalem before Pentecost. He's not, stops not in Ephesus because he was just there, probably because he knew that the visit wouldn't be short if he did go there, so he just kind of bypasses it. And I want to end in the text there and just spend the rest of our time talking about this account of eutychus because as i alluded to in the beginning i think it really gives us a good practical application of what spiritual fatigue looks like and like how like detrimental can be to our like an extreme circumstance detrimental to our relationship with the lord and how to address it so the first thing i want to talk about is the reason for spiritual fatigue and when i'm talking about that i'm just talking about like Maybe, well, I've felt this in my own relationship with Jesus at some points. Maybe you have two where you just feel tired. You feel bored almost since. Like there's no life in the relationship with God like you you know there should be. And so that's what I mean when I say spiritual fatigue. So the reason for it, um, and we need to make sure we understand some principles first. When we gather to fellowship when we gather to worship the lord together when we gather to sit under the teaching of his word and this is whether this is sundays or throughout the week for the different gatherings we have bible studies even if you're just getting together with other believers for like a meal to get coffee whatever there's three purposes there's probably a lot more but i summed it up into three okay number one it's so that you can be encouraged to keep going number two so you can be exhorted to keep growing. And number three, you can be equipped to keep sowing. Let me go through those, all right? Number one, when we gather, it's so you can be encouraged to keep going. I spent a lot of time talking about this already. So I won't, but it's so that encouragement can happen. That God says, Don't forsake the gathering of the saints with other believers, because you need to be encouraged. We all need we all realize we need to be encouraged, and the best encouragement, the real only true encouragement you're going to get is through other believers. And whether that's in a small setting, one-on-one, or through like this when we gather together, that is what is happening. We come here. Sometimes we're just ready to throw in the towel, quit. Maybe not that extreme, but we leave. We should be lifted up, encouraged to keep going as we go about our week. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I need that to happen several times throughout the week as I hang out with other men and other people through different gatherings. It can't just be on Sunday or I'm just drained by the time I get back here. All right? So number one, we're encouraged to keep going. Number two, when we gather, we're exhorted to keep growing. Romans 8, 29 says the purpose of God saving you is to conform you to the image of Jesus. Amen. We're to be changed. And it's a continual process that Paul says in Philippians 1, God's promised to complete it. When we're with him, we'll be like him. But it's a continual process. And the primary way God grows us, if you will, renews our minds, as Romans 12 says, is through the teaching of his word or the reading of his word. His word is what the Holy Spirit works through to show you what is right and good and true and correct anything that's not and to convict you to live according to it. That's what God does. So when we're gathering together, when we're meeting with other people, and as believers, we just inevitably talk about God's word, the principles of it, at least, even if we don't have it in front of us, We exhort each other to keep growing, okay? Third thing, we equip each other to keep sowing. Ephesians 4.12 talks about how these gifted people that God's called uh, in the church, like teachers, pastors, just different people, to equip you to do the work of the ministry, to do the things God has for you in your life. Now, this is where I want to really focus on this. That equipping is meant for you to do things outside of the walls of the church mainly, okay? Not just here on Sunday, but to take with you into your lives wherever they're at so that as God has poured into you, you pour out into others. And it's very important to understand that because it will affect how you approach your gathering with other believers. For instance, if I told you right now, this week, you are going to have the opportunity with a neighbor, a co-worker, you young people, a fellow student, maybe somebody on your football team, your soccer team, your volleyball team this fall, a Mormon is going to show up to your door unannounced. You're going to have the opportunity to share exactly what I'm telling you today with that person. How's that going to cause you to approach what's being said right now? It's going to wake you up, isn't it? I mean, if you know that you have to share what is being taught today with somebody else, isn't that going to make you sit up in your seat? Isn't that going to make you a little more alert? Like, well, I better listen. I better take notes. I better, I better have this down so that I can present it accurately, right? And that's what's happening every time you gather with somebody. You're being equipped in some way as you're being poured into to pour into somebody else. And that helps you approach your relationships with each other in these gatherings the right way. Because if we don't approach it that way, and this is something we can all have the tendency to do. We can just come to church and just, I mean, this is easy to be around other believers. There's no preparation to be around other people that love Jesus and know his word and stuff. I mean, really, we can come here and we're just comfortable. It's a whole lot of uncomfortableness as soon as you leave. But that's what you're being equipped and encouraged to go into, right? Not to just be comfortable here and then act like you're just a part of the world when you're out there. The call from Jesus is to go and make disciples. To go and teach them his word. To go and preach the good news to people. And so anytime we're getting together, there is equipping to do that. But if we're never doing it, and kind of like my analogy in the beginning... We're just constantly being poured into and we're never pouring anything out. We become stagnant really quick and we become bored and we become tired. And that leads to the second thing I want to talk about, the result of spiritual fatigue. Now, it is possible that this Eutychus moved up to the back of that church by the window just to get air and stay awake. But here's the other thing. He's sitting in the back away from everyone else. Maybe he kind of just... Came to church with that wrong attitude. Maybe he was just like bored, whatever. I'll be here. I'll check the box, but I'm not really here. I'm just going to sit in the back. I'm not going to partake. And what did that lead to for him? It ultimately led to him getting tired and sleepy and ultimately falling away in a drastic way, right? And much to my just despair, I've seen way more people in my 22 years of following jesus that they get saved they start out on fire they're they're at church early they're ready to worship they're ready to learn god's word they're ready to serve however god wants them to and then slowly but surely they just start fading to the back and before you know it they're not even showing up church at all because they've just fallen away completely that is not somewhere any one of us wants to be right and it can happen to any one of us. And I'm, I'm speaking from a place of experiencing this multiple times in my Christian walk. And I had my reasons for just in a sense, like pumping the brakes and stepping back. And one thing I've never seen to this day, it proved to be fruitful in a person's relationship with the Lord is them pulling away from God and his people. I've yet to see it. And I'm not saying that there's definitely seasons where we take breaks from things because we're withdrawing to be with Jesus because our first love is the most important relationship in our life. And sometimes we can get so consumed with things that we're not giving that the attention it deserves. But as Jesus makes clear, sitting at his feet is the priority over just busyness. But we don't withdraw from God and his people. We withdraw to God. If you're withdrawing from God and his people, That is not gonna ever leave you in a good place with the Lord. Following Jesus is like being on a treadmill if you haven't noticed already. If you stop going forward, you're just gonna start going back. And if you let yourself go back far enough, you're gonna fall completely off. And so we gotta be intentional about pressing in, going forward to God, understanding what's happening here, that it's significant spiritually so we approach it the right way and then go out into the world and allow God to use us The way he desires. Amen? That will avoid spiritual fatigue. And then the third thing I want you to understand is how to help somebody. How to help your brother or sister when you see them dealing with spiritual fatigue. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's not to come down on them. What did Paul do? He didn't come down on this Eutychus. What did he do? He went down to meet him. Not to leave him where he was at. Sometimes I hear people say that like, oh, they just meet you where you're at. Hopefully they don't leave you there. None of us wants to be left where we're at. We're constantly being informed to the image of Jesus. We go to meet people where they're at to lift them up, to encourage them, and not just to tell them, get up. You're lazy. You're tired. Wake up. No, to get down, put them in our arms like Paul and say, hey, I'm here to help and support you however you need, all right? What is it you're struggling with? What is your deal? Let's talk about these things. This is what God says. Let's meet every week or whatever, you know? Let's go through the word together. or Let's just share testimonies. Like we're there for them. Just like Paul was. That's how you meet someone. Made me think of how love is always what leads to resurrection in people's lives. Isn't that how God met us? In my depravity, in my sin, when I was nowhere near God, completely separated from him, did he come down on me? No. He came down to me in the form of Jesus Christ and showed me the ultimate demonstration of love in dying for my sin so that I could be forgiven of it and I could be brought to him, have a relationship with him. That's what Jesus did for us. And that led to new life in me. And that's the, that's the model we follow when we're meeting people, all right? That, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, because of that love that's been shown to you, you are compelled. I'm compelled to show that. Say, I, I am just, it's, that is the only type of love that I want to show to other people because that's what God has demonstrated to us. We are his ministers of resurrection. Amen? amen, amen. All right. So as the worship team comes up here, I just want to end on that point on time, not even longer. Um, but really, guys, if you came here discouraged today, and these things go too, these go hand in hand, because here's the thing: being spiritually fatigued, being in that place of boredom and tiredness with the relationship with God, you need to be encouraged. And that happens through other believers around there being there for you. So if there's anyone feeling that way today, God has brought you here for that reason among many others, but that specific reason, because he doesn't want to leave you in that place of being asleep and risking falling away, falling down, maybe falling into sin. Maybe you're already there, but here's the thing. There's tons of people around you that are here to be with you and lift you up. But you gotta be honest. You gotta be willing to bear your burdens with other people. And like I said, you're not you're not the only one struggling with that. We all do. So there's no shame in this place. We're all a bunch of the sinners saved by God's grace. So when the prayer team is gonna come up here and you can come up and meet them and we'll pray for you. Maybe you feel more comfortable with just talking to your spouse or your friend that you came with, your parents, whatever it is, talk to them so that the Lord can use them to speak those words of encouragement into your life, to be there with you, pray with you, and be a part of that lifting you up. Amen? I know the Lord wants to do that today. And if you're in that place of spiritual tiredness, that you relate to that, you feel fatigued in your relationship with Jesus, be honest about that too. Come up and get prayer. Get prayer from somebody with you. Just be real where you're at. So they can be like a Paul was to Eutychus and be there to help lift you up. To exhort you in the things you need to hear. To be that one that's kind of pushing you and with them or carrying you is probably a better way to say it, with them to Jesus. Amen? And then once you get into that place where you realize that, oh man, I was in a bad place, but now I'm, I'm right where I wanna be. I'm not in the back, I'm in the front row. I'm ready. Go out into the world in those places God has sovereignly put you and look for those opportunities that God gives you every day to pour into others what he's poured into you and in faith, trust him and step out and do it. Amen? Amen. Dear only Father, Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for the encouragement we have in you. Lord, the reality is, even when I thought I was being encouraged before I knew you, I really wasn't. Because I had no surety in anything anyone was telling me. The only thing I can be sure of is you and your word. And so this is where true hope comes from. Or true knowing a confidence in knowing that there are good things to come in any given situation that is only something you can promise because you're the one that the only one that is in control of all things and can keep that kind of promise and you have made it to us so lord we thank you for that and we want to be faithful to be those messengers of hope those encouragers in each other's lives in even other people's lives maybe there's people here today that don't know you and they're looking for that encouragement they're looking to be encouraged and they can find it in you so we're here lord to introduce them to you father we don't want to be in that place of fatigue letting ourselves just kind of drift away from you lord we knew the moment we placed our faith in you that we had found what we'd been looking for a whole life and that just as peter said you have the words of life where are we going to go We've found the only place we want to be, and that is you. So Lord, we want to stay connected as you tell us to in John 15, abiding. And we're thankful that you know our tendency to drift and you put those people in our life to to come and lift us up, to be there with us. We're so thankful for our church family that we have all these brothers and sisters around us to bear our burdens, to be there to pray with us, to be there to help us practically, whatever it is. And we want to be faithful to be used by you to do that, Lord. And then go out into the world as we're encouraged, as we're equipped and be that representation of you to others in this world that so desperately need you, Lord. Help us do that. Fill us with your spirit to do that. Meet us in this time, Lord, as we respond in humility to our need for you. In Jesus' name, amen.